What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to the 199th edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. This week, we're going to be talking about Armageddon Time, which is the new movie from James Gray, and why it's indicative of a larger trend in Hollywood right now, which is this idea of auteur theory. So we'll talk about that. We'll also be hitting Netflix's The Good Nurse and Hulu's Rosalind, which are two other new movies, and then two streaming suggestions of movies that I've have been on my watch list for a long, long time, and I finally got around to them this week, and I enjoyed both of them a lot. I think you will as well, so stick around for that. And thank you for getting in touch with me at Mr. Matt Craig on Twitter or through my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com. That's where you can let me know what you think of any of these movies or let me know what movies you've been watching that I should check out. That's also where you can find all the details to the No Content for Old Men Cinephile Bucket List. I think most of the people that listen to this podcast probably already know about it. Um, But just in case, yeah, you can find all the details there. It's basically a scratch-off poster with my 100 uh, best movie recommendations on it. I think it turned out really well. looks really cool. I think it would be a great Christmas present for you or... Uh, a friend or a family member, and you can uh, you can buy them on the newsletter's website, which is again mattcraig.substack.com. But let's go ahead and talk about Armageddon time. Back in journalism school, professors love to tell us students to avoid using first person in our writing. You are the least interesting thing about the story, they'd say. Soon after, we'd be assigned to read the work of an industry titan like a a Wright Thompson, who would inevitably lean heavily on first person. But he'd earned that right, they'd say, and he'd reached the status where readers actually cared about him as a character within his stories. Starstruck, I agreed. The history of Hollywood shows a similar hierarchy. While every screenwriter has been compelled to write what you know, only a privileged few have been given permission, or at least a budget, to direct an explicit autobiography. Think filmmakers with one-name status. Fellini, Truffaut, Bergman, Spike, Baumbach, Woody, sorry about that one, Crow, not sorry about that one. In recent years, the trend has accelerated and the privileged democratized. Yes, there's Alfonso Cuaron's Roma or Paul Thomas Anderson with Licorice Pizza, but Also, Lee Isaac Chung with Minari, Lulu Wong with The Farewell, and Kenneth Branagh with Belfast, all making appearances during award season. Auteur theory, the idea that directors ultimately are the sole author of a movie, has never been more meaningless among commercial blockbuster movies, where scripts include insert fight scene here and hundreds of CGI artists deserve as much credit as the guy calling cut. And yet... Autor theory has never been more valuable among any movie claiming to be prestige. As the purse strings of Hollywood get tighter, filmmakers pitching movies must answer the same questions I have to answer when I'm pitching a story to an editor. Namely, not just, is it a good story, but also, why am I the right person to tell it? Unfortunately, in pitch meetings, in my pitch meetings, the response, because I'm going to do a good job on it, has never been enough. Add in the rise of identity politics and a healthy dose of skepticism about who has the authority to tell what stories, 
and you're left with an environment where risk-averse production executives know no better than to greenlight someone's own story. This year alone, there's three entries. Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, which is the current best picture odds-on favorite, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu's Bardo, and Armageddon Time, from and about the young life of James Gray. Gray is a well-respected, if not entirely celebrated, filmmaker behind Ad Astra, which I liked from a few years ago, The Lost City of Z, and We Own the Night. In another era, he surely would not have been tapped to tell his autobiographical story about growing up Jewish in Queens in the 1980s, but this is ostensibly a movie about America today, complete with appearances from members of the Trump family, commentary on the Ronald Reagan presidential election, and more than enough casual racism to go around. Gray deserves respect for not sugarcoating this period of his life, or his own avatar, our middle school-aged protagonist who is more or less a mischievous a-hole who is saved by his own white privilege. The movie seems to be about the unfair systems in place then and now. So he's told to be a mensch and treat those below him socially with respect and, in the next sentence, play the game and suck up to those above him on the social ladder. As an essay, it's interesting, but as a movie, I found it meandering and unable to be saved even by this star-studded cast that includes Anne Hathaway and Jeremy Strong as his parents, Anthony Hopkins as his grandfather, and Jessica Chastain in a one-scene surprise that I won't steal here, or <laughs> a one-scene surprise that I won't ruin here. They are strong, compelling, and just as committed to their parts as you'd expect from that crew. Above all, the movie is specific. The house, the clothes, the way people talk may be too specific for those who did not live out a very similar experience to access. A podcast host I like called this one of his best movies of the year, but he also grew up on Long Island in the 1980s. And there isn't really that olive branch inviting the rest of us in. That's the common trait that I worry about if the trend of autobiograph autobiography continues to expand. Not that specific stories can't be used to powerfully connect with all of us, because I'll take specific overbroad any day, but that fragmentation might leave the majority of us out in the cold while the few in the know dismiss us as not getting it. That leaves Armageddon Time for me as a well-made movie I simply didn't connect to. Okay, every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week's something new, there's two of them. First one is on Netflix. It's The Good Nurse. This trailer, it gave off distinct B-movie vibes, which isn't exactly fair to a movie starring Oscar-winning actors Eddie Redmayne and Jessica Chastain as real-life ICU nurses in the early 2000s who become the center of a criminal investigation when several patients die mysteriously in their care. I myself have always been immune to the charms of these two, especially Redmayne, and their particular brand of, shall we say, effortful acting, but I was pleasantly surprised by what I found. It, it's not a bad movie. Um, while its overly serious tone, limited budget, and one-note villains feel more at home in a Lifetime movie than any sort of awards play, and there's no, there's no real mystery to the central thriller plotline, the depiction of the life of overnight ICU nurses feels grounded and authentic and honestly just really awful. 
as all of the hospital TV dramas through the years can attest to, including 19 seasons of Grey's Anatomy and Counting, it's a fruitful setting for story for storytelling. And it's enough to get this movie to respectability, but not quite enough to get me excited. Next up is on Hulu, it's Rosalind. In Shakespeare's original Romeo and Juliet, Rosalind was the girl who Romeo was madly in love with before he met his ill-fated soulmate. It's quite a clever premise to retell the classic story from her perspective as a scorned lover, and casting Caitlin Deaver is, if you can't tell by now, always a great strategy to make your movie supremely watchable. Personally, I'm getting sick of the uh, faux-updated sensibilities of the period costumes plus modern dialogue thing with, you know, a sassy protagonist who rolls her eyes at everything going on. I'm thinking of Anya Taylor-Joy and Emma and Dakota Johnson in Persuasion, to name a few. As, you know, that winking over it thing makes it building any real drama kind of impossible. Luckily, this movie is going for more of a Netflix low-budget rom-com sort of situation with one of those cookie-cutter plots and just enough cute or entertaining moments strung together to make it seem super enjoyable in a low-commitment sort of way. I still much prefer director Karen Maine's last movie, Yes, God, Yes. And since that one's also on Netflix, well, this one's on Hulu, that one's on Netflix, I would recommend streaming that one instead. Alright, this week's Something Old is from 2002, 20 years ago. Oh boy. It's streaming on Tubi, which is the free streaming service with ads. It's 25th hour. Spike Lee confirmed his status as the Bard of New York City in this post-9-11 drama starring Ed Norton as a busted drug dealer on his last day before he has to go to prison. His friends span the spectrum of early 2000s New York City life. A stockbroker, played by Barry Pepper, a high school teacher, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, an exotic dancer girlfriend, played by Rosario Dawson, and an Irish bar owner father, played by Brian Cox. The story itself is its sad, it's a little slow, but it's very affecting and super compelling, anchored by the strong performances and memorable lines of dialogue. But the real magic here is Lee's reflections on various neighborhoods and people groups of New York and how they each hustle to get by in their own way. I haven't stopped thinking about it since I saw it. Honestly, just a great, great movie. Lastly, we got something to stream back over on Hulu. It's the Darjeeling Limited. This is the Wes Anderson movie that's kind of lost to history somewhat because of what is perceived by the discourse to be racially insensitive presentation of India, the setting for this story about three estranged brothers going on a cross-country spiritual journey. I can't deny that the movie is Anglo-centric, nor would Anderson, but I think the crosshairs of criticism within the movie fall squarely on the three rich white white guys at its center, who trounce around the country with little regard or respect for what's around them. It's not always obvious because Anderson's movies, think The Grand Budapest Hotel or Moonrise Kingdom, are characterized by their whimsical tone, but it's definitely intentional. Buried within that pseudo-controversy 
is one of the best depictions of brotherly dynamics, brotherly relationship dynamics I've ever seen in a movie. The brothers, played by frequent Anderson collaborators Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, and Jason Schwartzman, each have their own quirks and personalities, but carry the weight of shared experience between them in a way that feels so real. This was the last Anderson feature-length project I'd never seen, and with it, I can confirm fully that he's very near the top of my favorite director's list. I'll have to make one of those someday, but until then, here's how I would rank Wes Anderson's movies. And seriously, there's not a single bad one on here, even number 10 I would highly recommend. That number 10 is Rushmore, number 9, The Darjeeling Limited, number 8, The French Dispatch, 7, Isle of Dogs, 6, Bottle Rocket, 5, Fantastic Mr. Fox, 4, The Royal Tenenbaums, 3, Moonrise Kingdom, 2, A Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, which is my personal favorite, and number 1, undeniable, is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Alright guys, that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, Thank you for sharing the word about this newsletter, about this podcast, about the Cinephile bucket list, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, As for next week's show, obviously, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the big movie. I'm definitely going to get out and try to see it. Um, It seems like it's going to be a massive hit, and honestly, I'm okay with that because it's going to knock Black Adam (laughs) out of the conversation which is great. Um, Until then, you can head over to the newsletter and see this week's Trailer Watch, which gave us the first trailer for John Wick Chapter 4, which is a highly, highly anticipated movie for 2023. But until Black Panther next week, I guess, I'll see you at the movies.